Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Ooh, I'm so excited. There's only two chapters left of book 10. And then we have 11, 12, 13. Pretty cool, huh? We only have three books left. And yep, yep, I counted on my fingers because I'm a little kid, apparently. Ready? Do you want to read? No. <laughs> How come? Are you like waking up or something? Guys, it's six in the morning here, and Peyton, she's just waking up. And so I'm going to read her to her to wake her up. Right, Pay? Right? Hello? Yes, that's he. That means yes. Silence means yep. <gasps> Peyton, look at this really quickly. Can you look at this? Look. I need you to look at this. I put my sweats on this morning, and they're inside out because it was dark in my room when I got dressed. Wah. What a morning, huh? All right. A series of unfortunate events by Lemony Snicket. Book the 10th, The Slippery Slope. Chapter 12. Not too long ago, in the Swedish city of Stockholm, a group of bank robbers took a few prisoners during a course of their work. For several days, the bank robbers and the prisoners lived together in close proximity. A word here which means, while the police police gathered outside the eventually and eventually managed to arrest the robbers and take them to jail when the prisoners were finally fired however the authorities discovered that they had become friends with the bank robbers and since the expression stockholm syndrome had been used to describe the situation in which someone becomes friends with the people that are holding them prisoner there's another expression however which describes a situation that is far more common when a prisoner does not become friends with such people, but instead regards them as villains and, and despises them more and more with each passing moment, waiting desperately for an opportunity to escape. The expression is Mount Fraught Syndrome. <sighs> and Sunny Baudelaire was experiencing it as she stood at the top of Mount Fraught gazing down the frozen waterfall and thinking about her circumstances. The young girl had spent another sleepless night in the covered casserole dish after washing the salmon out of it with a few handfuls with a few handfuls of melted snow. It was chilly, of course, with the winds of the Mortmain Mountains blowing through the holes in the lid, and it was painful because once her teeth were chattering, in the cold and giving her tiny cuts in her lips, but there was not another reason that Sunny did not that Sunny did not sleep well. <sighs> but there was another reason that Sunny did not sleep well, which is what what which is that she was frustrated. Despite her best spying attempts, the youngest Baudelaire had been unable to eavesdrop on the on the villain's conversation to learn the location of the last safe place where VFD would would be gathering or learn any more about the dreadful recruitment scheme planned by the man with a beard but no hair or the woman with no hair with hair but no beard 
When the trope gathered around the flat rock for dinner, they discussed these things, but every other time Sunny tried to get close enough to hear what they were saying, they glanced at her and quickly changed the subject. It seemed that Sunny was the only thing that the only thing she could accomplish all evening was preparing a meal that the trope had enjoyed. When she had presented her platter of false spring rolls, no one had complained, and every single villainous person had taken second helpings. But something crucial had escaped the attention of Count Olaf and his comrades during his meal, and for Sunny, that and for that Sunny was very grateful. As she told her siblings, the youngest Baudelaire had prepared an assortment of vegetables wrapped in spinach leaves in horror, in honor of false spring. Her recipe required a bag of mushrooms, the can of water chestnuts, the hunk of frozen spinach, which she had thawed by holding under her shirt as she prepared when she was preparing the toast tartar. Tartar. Toast tartar. But Sunny had not decided last minute that she would not use the enormous eggplant. When Violet mentioned the eggplant must weigh as much as the Sunny did, the youngest Baudelaire had an idea. Rather than chopping up the eggplant into small strips with her teeth, she hid behind it on a flat tire of Count Olaf's, and now the sun rose and the group of the villains began their usual morning bickering. She was retrieving the eggplant and rolling, rolling it to the casserole dish as she rolled past the automobile. Sunny looked down the frozen waterfall, which looked less and less frozen in the morning sun. She knew that her siblings were at the bottom with Quigley, and she, and she couldn't see them, which made her feel better knowing that they were relatively nearby. And if her plan worked out, she would soon be joining them. What are you doing, baby? What are you doing, baby? Sunny had just slipped the eggplant under the cover of the casserole dish and heard the voice of Olaf's comrades. The two white-faced women were standing outside their tent, stretching in the morning sun. Aubergine, Sunny replied, which meant I've concocted a plan involving this eggplant. But it doesn't matter if I tell you, because you never understand a single word I say. More baby talk, said the other white woman, white-faced woman with a sigh. I'm beginning to think that Sunny is only a helpless baby and not a spy. Goo-goo-ga, Sunny began, but the flap of Count Olaf's tent opened as she uttered the last ga. The villain and his girlfriend stood in the morning sun. <sighs> it was clear they expected the new day, Saturday, to be an important one because they were dressed for the occasion. A phrase here which means wearing such a strange clothing that the youngest Baudelaire was too surprised to say the final ga she had been planning. Amazingly, it appeared that Count Olaf had washed his face and was wearing a brand new suit made of material that first seemed to be covering covered in tiny polka dots. But when Sunny looked closer, she saw that each dot was a small eye matching Olaf's tattoo and the VFD insignia and all of the other eyes that had plagued the Baudelaire since that terrible day on the beach. So that looking at Count Olaf in his new suit felt like looking at a crowd of villains and staring at Sunny Baudelaire all staring at Sunny Baudelaire. But no matter how unnerving Olaf's fashion was, Esme Squalor's outfit was worse to behold. Sunny couldn't remember what she had seen what when she had ever seen a dress so enormous and so and was so surprised that such an article of clothing would have fit in a tent and still leave room for villains to sleep. 
The dress was made of layers upon layers of shiny cloth in different shades of yellow, orange, and red, all cut into fierce triangles, triangular shapes, so that each layer seemed to cut into the next, and rising from the shoulders of the dress was an enormous pile of black lace sticking up in the air in a strange curve. For a moment, the dress was so huge and odd that Sunny could not imagine why anyone would be wearing it. But as the wicked girlfriend stepped further out of the tent, it became horribly clear. Esme's squalor was dressed to look like an enormous fire. What a wonderful morning, Count Olaf said. Count, oh, Count Olaf crowd, crowded. Just think, by the end of the day, I'll have m- more new members of the trope than ever before. And we'll need them, Esme agreed. We're all going to have to work together for the greater good, burning down that last safe place. Just the idea of the hotel, just the idea of the hotel du, du nom, whoa, I don't know that word. Oh gosh, denouement in flames makes me so excited. I'm going to open a bottle of wine, Count Olaf announced, and Sunny covered her mouth with a gasp of the, so that the villain could not hear her gasp. Oh, covered her mouth with her hand so that the villain could not, villains could not hear her gasp. The hotel I don't even, oh my gosh, denouement, she realized must be the last safe place for the volunteers to gather, and Olaf was so excited that he uttered the name inadvertently, which means where the youngest Baudelaire could hear it. The idea of those eagles filling the sky makes me so excited. I'm going to smoke one of those green cigarettes. Except, oh, Esme announced and then frowned, except I don't have one. Drat. I beg your pardon, Esme your Esme ship, said one of the white-faced women, but I see some green smoke down at the bottom of the waterfall. Really? Esme said eagerly, and looked in the direction of Olaf was pointing. Sunny looked too and saw a familiar plume of green smoke at the very bottom of the slope, getting bigger and bigger as the sun continued to rise. The youngest Baudelaire wondered why her siblings were signaling her and what they were trying to say. That's strange, Olaf said. You'd think that there'd be nothing left of the headquarters to burn. Like, look at how much smoke there is, Esme said greedily. There must be a whole pack of cigarettes down there. This day is getting even better. Count Olaf smiled and then looked away from the waterfall and noticed Sunny for the first time. I'll have the baby go down and get them for you, Count Olaf said. Yes, sir, Sunny said eagerly. The baby would probably steal the cigarettes her cigarettes herself, as me said, glaring down at the baby. I'll go. But climbing down there will take you hours, Olaf said. Don't you want to come well, don't you want to be here for the recruitment scheme? I just love spring I just love springing traps on people. Me too, Esme said, but don't worry, Olaf. I'll be back in moments, and I'm not going to climb. I'm gonna take one of the toboggan sleds and go down the waterfall before anyone else notice I'm gone. Drat, Sunny said, as she couldn't help saying. She meant something along the lines of, that's exactly what I was planning to do, but once again, no one understood. Shut up, Toothy, Esme said, and get out of my way. She flounced past the youngest Baudelaire, and Sunny realized that there was something sewn to the bottom of the dress that made a crackling noise when she walked, so that the wicked girlfriend sounded so much like fire as much as she looked like one. Blowing a kiss to Count Olaf, she grabbed the toboggan, beginning belonging to the sinister villains. I'll be right back, darling, she said. 
tell that baby to take a nap so she won't see what we're up to. Esme's right, Olaf said, giving Sunny a cruel smile. Get in the casserole dish. You're such an ugly, helpless creature. You can scarce, I can scarcely stand to look at you. You said it, handsome, Esme said, and chuckled meanly as she sat up in the top of the waterfall, and the two white-faced women scurried to help and gave the toboggan a big push, as Sunny did, as she was told, and disappeared out of Olaf's sight. As you may imagine, the sight of a grown woman in an enormous flame-imitating dress tobogganing down the source of a stricken stream to the two tributaries in the half-frozen pool at the bottom of the waterfall is not the sort of thing to pass unnoticed, even if it's from far away. Violet was the first one to see that the colorful blur heading quickly down the slope, and she lowered Colette's hand mirror, which she used once again to catch the rays of the sun reflecting onto the verdant flammable device, which she had put in a pile in the pit. In the pit, wrinkling her nose from the bitter smell of the smoke, she turned to Klaus and Quigley, who were putting the last piece of the weakened wood across the pit so that their trap would be hidden from view. Look, Violet said, and pointed to the descending shape. Do you think it's Esme, Klaus said? Violet squinted at, at the tobogganing figure. I think so, she said. Nobody but Esme Squalor would wear an outfit like that. We'd better hide behind the archway, Quigley said, before she spots us. The two Baudelaire's noticed in agreement, nodded in agreement, and walked carefully to the library entrance, making sure to step around the hole that they had dug. I'm happy that we can't see the pit anymore, Klaus said, looking at the blackness, reminded me of the terrible passageway at 667 Dark Avenue. First, Esme trapped her siblings there, Violet said to Quigley, and then she trapped us, and now we're fighting fire with fire, trapping her, Quigley said uncomfortable. I think it's best not to think about it, Violet said, although she had not stopped thinking about the trap since they, since the first handful of ashes and earth. Soon we'll have Sunny back, and that's what's important. Maybe this is important too, Klaus said, and pointed to the archway. I've never noticed it until now. Violet and Quigley, Quigley looked up to see what he was referring to and saw four tiny words etched in the, in, over their heads right underneath the large letter spelled VFD Library. The world is quiet here, Quigley read. What do you think it means? It looks like a motto, Klaus said. At Proofrock Preparatory School, they had a motto carved into the entrance so that everyone would remember, would remember it when they entered the academy. Violet shook her head. That's what I'm not what I'm thinking of, she said. The remembering of something that is the phrase is just barely. Wait, I'm remembering something about the phrase, but just barely. The words certainly felt quiet around here, Klaus said. We haven't heard a single snow nut since we arrived. The smell of smoke scares them away, remember, Quigley said. Of course, Klaus said, and peered around the archway to check Esme's to check on Esme's progress. The colorful blur was about halfway down the waterfall, heading straight for the strap they had, trap they had built. There's been so much smoke here at the headquarters that the gnats may never come back. Without snow gnats, Quigley said, the salmon of the stricken stream will go hungry. They feed on snow gnats. He reached into his pocket, opened up his commonplace book, and without salmon, he said, the Mount Mortmain Mountains eagles will go hungry. And the destruction of VFD headquarters has caused more damage than I thought. Klaus nodded in agreement. Then, 
uh, when we were talking along the stricken stream, he said, the fish were coughing from all the ashes in the water. Remember, Violet? He turned to his sister, but Violet was only half listening. She was gazing at the words on the archway and trying to remember where she'd heard them before. I can just hear those words, she said. The world is quiet here. She closed her eyes. I think it was a very long time ago before you were born, Klaus. Maybe someone said them to you, Quigley said. Violet tried to remember as far back as she could, but everything seemed as misty as seemed a mist, as misty as it did in the mountains. She could see the face of her mother, her father, standing behind her, wearing a black suit as black as the ashes of VFD headquarters. Their mouths were open, and Violet could not remember what they were saying. No matter how hard she tried, the memory was silent as a grave. Nobody, nobody said them to me, she said finally. Someone sang them. I think my parents sang those words, the world is quiet here, a long time ago, but I don't know why. She opened her eyes and faced her brother faced her brother and her friend. I think we might be doing the wrong thing, she said. But we agreed, Quigley said, to fight fire with fire. Violet nodded and stuck her hands into her pocket, bumping up against the bread knife again. She thought of the darkness in the pit and that Esme's scream would make as she fell into it. I know, we agreed, Violet said, but VFD, but if VFD stands for Volunteer Fire Department, then there's an organization that stops fire. If everyone fought fire with fire, the entire world would go up in smoke. Well, I see what you mean, Quigley said. If VFD... Their motto is, the world is quiet here. We ought to be doing something less noisy and violent than trapping someone, no matter how wicked they are. When I was looking at the pit, Klaus said quietly, I was remembering remembering something that I read in a book by a famous philosopher. He said, whoever fights monsters should see to it that the process where he does not become a monster. And when you look into the abyss, the abyss also looks into you. Klaus said to his sister, and then the sight of sight of Esme approaching, and then at the weakened wood that the three children had placed on the ground. Abyss is a fancy word for pit, he said, and we built an abyss for Esme to fall into. That's something a monster might do. Quigley was copying Klaus's words into his commonplace book. What happened to the philosopher, he asked. He's dead, Klaus replied. I think you're right, Violet. I don't want to be as villainous and monstrous as Count Olaf. But what are we going to do, Quigley asked. Sunny is still Olaf's prisoner, and Esme will be here any moment. If we don't think of something right now, it'll be too late. As the triplet finished his sentence, however, the three children heard something that made them realize it might already be too late. From behind the archway, Violet Klaus and Quigley heard a rough scrape sound as the toboggan reached the bottom of the waterfall and slid to a halt. And then a triumphant giggle from the mouth of Esme's squalor, the three volunteers peeked around the archway and saw this treacherous girlfriend step off the toboggan with a greedy smile on her face. But when Esme adjusted her enormous, enormous flame-imitating dress and took a step forward, the smoking, verdant, flammable device, Violet, was not looking at her anymore. Violet was looking down at the ground just a few steps from where she had been standing. Three dark, round masks were sitting in a pile where Violet Klaus and Quigley had left them upon arriving at the ruins headquarters at the ruins of the headquarters they had assumed they had assumed that they would not be needing them but the oldest Baudelaire realized that they were wrong and 
As Esme took another step closer to the trap, Violet dashed over to the mask and put one put one on and stepped out of her hiding place as her brother and her friend looked on. Stop, Esme, she cried. It's a trap. Esme, Esme stopped in her tracks and gave Violet a curious look. Who are you, she said. You will not sneak up on people like that. It's a villainous thing to do. I'm a volunteer, Violet said. Esme's mouth, heavy with orange lipstick that matched her dress, curled into a sneer. There are no volunteers here, she said. The entire headquarters are destroyed. Klaus was the next to grab a mask and and confront Olaf's treacherous, romantic companion. Our headquarters might be destroyed, he said, but VFD is strong as ever. Esme frowned at the and the Esme frowned at the two siblings as if she couldn't decide whether to be frightened or not. You may be strong, she said nervously, but you're also very short. Her dress crackled when she started to take another step towards the pit. When I get my hands on you... No, Quigley cried and stepped out of the archway wearing a mask. Don't come any closer, Esme. If you take another step, you'll fall into our trap. You're making that up, Esme said. She did not move any... But she didn't move any closer. You're trying to keep those cigarettes for yourself. They're not cigarettes, Klaus said, and we're not liars. Underneath that woodpile you're about to step on is a very deep pit. Esme looked at them suspiciously. Generally... A word here which means, no, gingerly, a word here would, would, that means without falling into a very deep hole. She leaned down and moved a piece of wood aside and stared into the trap that the children built. Well, 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 she said, you did build a trap. I never would have fallen for it, of course, but I must admit you dug quite a pit. We wanted to trap you, Violet said, so we could trade you for the safe return of Sunny Baudelaire, but... But you didn't have the courage to go through with it, Esme said, mocking, with a mocking smile. You volunteers are never brave enough to do something for the greater good. Throwing people into the pit isn't for the greater good, Quigley cried. It's a villainous treachery. If you weren't such an idiot, Esme said, you'd realize that those things are more or less the same thing. He's not an idiot, Violet said fiercely. She knew, of course, that it did not. It was not a worthwhile to get upset over insults from such a ridiculous person. But she liked Quigley too much to hear him called names he led us to where the headquarters are using a map that he drew himself well he's a very he's very well read klaus said at klaus at klaus's word esme threw back her head and laughed shaking the crackling layer of her enormous dress well read she repeated in a particularly nasty tone being well read won't help you in this world many years ago i was supposed to waste my entire summer reading anna karenia Karenina, but I know that silly book would never help me, so I threw it into the fireplace. She reached down and picked up a few more pieces of wood, which she tossed aside with a snicker. Look at your precious headquarters, volunteers. It's as ruined as my book, and look at me. I'm as beautiful, fashionable, and I smoke cigarettes, she said, and laughed out loud and pointed to the children with a scornful finger. If you don't spend all your time with your head stuck in a book, you'd have precious you'd have that precious baby back. We're we're going to get her back, Violet said firmly. Really? Esme said mockingly. And how do you propose to do that? I'm going to talk to Count Olaf, Violet said, and he's going to give her back to me. Esme threw her head back and started to laugh, but not with as much enthusiasm as before. What do you mean, she said. Just what I said, Violet said. Hmm, Esme said suspiciously. Let me think for a moment. The evil girlfriend began to pace back and forth in the frozen pond in her enormous dress crackling with every step. Klaus leaned in to whisper to her sister. What are you doing, he asked. Do you honestly think that we can get Sunny back from Count Olaf with a simple conversation? 
I don't know, Violet whispered back, but it's better than luring somebody into a trap. I was doing it. I was It was wrong to dig the pit, quickly agreed, but I'm not sure that walking straight into Olaf's clutches is the right thing to do either. It'll take a whole while. It'll take a while to reach Mount Fra again, Violet said, but we'll think of something during the climb. I hope so, Klaus said, but if we can't think of something, Klaus did not get a chance to say what he might have said to say what might happen if they couldn't think of something because Esme clapped her hands together to get the children's attention. If you really want to talk to my boyfriend, she said, I suppose I can take you where he is. If you weren't stupid, you know that he's very nearby. We know where he is, Esme, Klaus said. He's at the top of the waterfall, the source of the stricken stream. Then I suppose you know how we can get there, Esme said, and and looked a little foolish. The, the toboggan doesn't go uphill, so I actually have no idea how we can reach the peak. She will invent a way, Quigley said, pointing to Violet. Violet smiled at her friend, grateful for his support, and closed her eyes underneath the mask. Once more, she was thinking of something she had when she, she was thinking of something she had heard sung to her when she was a very little girl. She had already <sighs> she had already thought of the way that the three children could take Esme with them <clears throat> when they when they ascended the hill, but she, thinking of their journey made her think that, of the song that she had thought not thought of for many years. Perhaps when you were very young, someone sang you a song, perhaps to lull you to sleep or to entertain you in a long car trip and or in order to take to teach you a secret code. The song is called The Itsy Bitsy Spider and it is one of the saddest songs that has ever been composed. It's a story that tells it's a story of a small spider who's trying to climb up a water spout, but every time she climb, the climb is half over, there's a great burst of water, and either due to the rain or somebody turning on the spout, at the end of the song, the spider decides to try one more time and will likely be washed away again. Violet Baudelaire could not help feeling like this poor spider as it ascended the waterfall for the last time, with Quigley and Klaus beside her and Esme Squalor on her toboggan behind them. After attaching... After attaching the last two forks on Klaus's shoes, she held up her companions to tie the leather straps around the toboggan around their waist so that they could drag the villainous girlfriend behind them as they climbed it. It was exhausting to approach the peak of Mount Frat in this matter, particularly after staying up all night digging a pit, and it seemed that they might get washed back down by the dripping water of the stricken stream. <sighs> like the spider Violet had heard about when she was little. The ice on the slope was weakening after after two fork-assisted climbs, but the toboggan ride in the increasing temperatures of fall spring, and with each step Violet's invention, invention, the ice would shift slightly, and it was clear that the slippery slope was almost as exhausting as they were, exhausted as they were, and soon the ice would vanish completely. Mush, as may called from the toboggan, she was using an expression that arctic explorers shouted when the sled dogs to the sled dogs and it certainly did not make the journey any easier i wish she'd stop saying that violet murmured muttered behind her she tapped the candelabra on the ice again and just a small piece detached from the waterfall and fell onto the ruins of the headquarters she watched it disappear from below her and sighed we would never see the vfd headquarters in all this glory none of the baudelaires would Violet would never know how it felt to cook in the kitchen and gaze at the two tributes of the stricken stream while chatting 
with the other volunteers. Klaus would never know how to how it felt relaxed in the library and learn all of the secrets of VFD in the comfort of one's library chair with his feet up on the matching VFD footstools. Sonny would never operate the projector of the in the movie room or practice the art of fake mustache and disguise center in the disguise center or sit in a parlor at tea time and eat almond cookies made from grandmother's recipe. Violet would never study chemical com- composition in the six, one of the six laboratories and Klaus would never use the balance beam of the gymnasium and Sonny would never stand behind the counter at the ice cream shop and prepare butterscotch sundaes for the swimming coaches when it was her turn. And none of the Baudelaire's would ever meet some of the organization's most beloved volunteers, including the mechanical instructor C.M. Cornbluth and Dr. Isaac Ainwistle, who whom everyone called Ike and the brave volunteer who tossed the sugar bowl out the kitchen window so it would not be destroyed in the blaze and watched it float away on one of the tributaries of the stricken stream. The Baudelaire's would never do any of these things and any more than I will see my beloved Beatrice again or retrieve a pickle from the refrigerator in which I left it and return to its rightful place in the importance, important coated sandwich. Violet, of course, was not aware of everything that she would never do, but she gazed down at the vast ashen remains of the headquarters. She felt as if her whole journey to the Mortmain Mountains had been useless as the journey of a tiny arachnid of the song she had never liked to hear. Mush, Esme cried again with a cruel chuckle. Please stop saying that, Esme, Violet said, calling down impatiently. That mush makes that mush nonsense is slowing our climb. A climb might be... A slow climb might be to our advantage, Klaus murmured to his sister. The longer it takes us to reach the summit, the longer we have to think of what we have to say to Olaf. We could tell him that he's surrounded, Quigley said, that the volunteers are everywhere and ready to arrest him if he doesn't let Sunny go free. Violet sh- shook her mask. He won't believe that, she said, sticking a, f- a fork-assisted shoe into the waterfall. He can see everything and everywhere from Mount Fraught. He'll know that we're the only volunteers in the area. There must be something we can do, Klaus said. We didn't make this journey up the mountains for nothing. Of course not, Quigley said. We found each other and we solved some of the mystery of what was haunting us. And that will be enough, Violet said, to defeat those villains to the peak. Violet's question was a difficult one and neither Klaus nor Quigley had the answer. So rather than than hazard a guess, a phrase here which means continue to expend their energy, by discussing the matter, they decided they decided to hazard their climb. A phrase here which means continue. Oh, I lost my spot. Continue their difficult journey in silence until they arrived to the last source of the stricken stream, hoisting themselves up to a flattened peak, and then sat on the et- and then sit sat on the edge to pull the leather straps as hard as they could. It was such a difficult task to drag drag Esme Squalor on the toboggan over the edge of the slope on Mount Fraught that the children did not notice who was nearby until they heard the familiar scratchy voice behind them. Who goes there? Count Olaf demanded. Breathless from the climb, the three children turned around to see the villain standing with his two sinister cohorts cohorts along near near his long black automobile glaring suspiciously at the masked volunteers we thought you'd get here by taking the path said the man with the beard but no hair not by climbing up the waterfall no 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 esme said quickly these aren't people these are not the people we're expecting these are some volunteers i found at headquarters 
volunteers, the woman said with hair but no beard, but her voice did not sound as deep as it usually did. The villains gave the children some confused, a confused frown and had seen that they had seen from Esme as if they were unsure whether or not to be scared or scornful. And the hook-handed man, the two white-faced women, and the three former carnival employees would gather around to see what had made their villainous boss fall silent. Although they were exhausted, the two Baudelaire's hurriedly untied the straps of the toboggan from their wrist and stood with quickly to face their enemies. The orphans were very scared, of course, but they found that with their faces that their face wait, with their faces concealed that they could speak their minds a phrase here which means confront count olaf and his companions as if they weren't one bit frightened we built a trap to capture a girlfriend olaf violet said but we don't want to become a monster like you they're idiot idiotic liars esme cried i found them hogging the cigarettes so i captured them myself and i made them drag me up the waterfall like sled dogs the middle Baudelaire ignored the wicked girlfriend's nonsense. We're here for Sunny, Baudelaire, Klaus said, and we're not leaving without her. Count Olaf frowned and peered at them with his shiny, shiny eyes as if he were talking, as if he were trying to see through their masks. And what makes you certain, he said, that I'll give you my prisoner just because you say so. Violet thought furiously, looking around her surroundings for anything that might give her an idea of what to do. Count Olaf clearly believed that the three masked people in front of him could be members of the VFD, and she felt that she could just find the right words to say. She could defeat him, defeat him without becoming a villain, as villainous as her enemies, but she could not find the words, and neither could her brother, nor her friend that stood beside her in silence. The Mortmain Mountains blew against them, and Violet struck her hands. Struck her... Oh, I lost my spot again. Dang it. Um, struck her hand, stuck her hands in her pockets and bumping the fingers against a long bread knife. She began to think that perhaps strapping Esme, trapping Esme had been the right thing to do after all. Count Olaf's frown began to fade and his mouth started to, cur <gasps> started to curl up in a triumphant smile. But just as he opened his mouth to speak, Violet saw two things that gave her hope once more. The first was a sight of two of two notebooks, one a deep shade of purple and two the other dark blue, sticking out of the pockets of her companions. Commonplace books where Klaus and Quigley had written down all of the information they found in the ruined library of VFD headquarters. And the other was a collection of dishes spread out on a flat rock that Olaf's troop had been using for the table. For a table. Sunny had been forced to wash these dishes using handfuls of melted snow and she laid them out to dry in the sunshine of false spring violet could see a stack of plates with em emblazoned with each emblazoned with the familiar image of an eye as well as a row of teacups and a small pitcher of cream but there was something missing from the tea set it made and it made violet smile behind her mask as she turned to the face of count olaf again we will give you sunny you will give us sunny she said because we know where the sugar bowl is dun 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 peyton did you fall asleep no yep <laughs> you fell asleep you fell asleep only people that will get that are people that watch friends you fell asleep all right let's do the last one you gotta wake up kitty kid